we are going to get into Genesis chapter 32. We touched on this a little bit last week, and we're going to build upon this. And I gave Aaron just enough for, to read for you to think, what is that going to be about? Where is this going? So we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to get into Genesis 32. Uh, look at this very curious event. When you go through and you read in the book of Genesis, there are accounts there where God is in contact, bodily contact with people. And you think, wait a minute, he's in the garden, in the Garden of Eden, and he's there with Abraham and talking to him directly, and he's come to Abraham and to his house with two other angels. How does God do that? And I think that the answer is, is that God, that is, I believe this is Christ, and taking on not the flesh yet, he's not incarnate yet, uh, but he has come in some angelic form. And the reason I say that again is God is transcendent, God the Father, and He is Spirit. That's what Jesus says in John 4. And then His, his Spirit, according, as I recall, Psalm 139 says, the Spirit is on all places where you cannot escape it. That's how God is omnipresent. His Spirit is in all places. But then God in the flesh, God coming bodily, is Jesus Christ. So I think as I look at this, and I've studied others, and I'd like to get your input and thoughts on it as well, that that is the best explanation about the things that we see here in the text with God um, wrestling with man. Now, you might be looking at this passage and thinking something else is going on here, but we're going to look into Genesis 32 and draw from it. There's a lot to take into our lives and to understand. Um, you think about your own life, and you think about the things that you wrestle with and you struggle with, and there's a lot, there are a lot of people that struggle with different things, and sometimes I don't quite understand it. Why people struggle with believing in God. To me, it doesn't make much sense. I look at creation, and I look that it must have a cause. The cause must be beyond. The universe must be more powerful, must be transcendent. It created an intelligible world to be, and whatever the cause is, which I believe, of course, is God, but that cause created an intelligible world where intelligent beings can perceive it. It doesn't make sense that that would just pop out of nothing, or that it would come from some mindless generator or a quantum field that has no intellect or intelligence at all. That just sounds foolishness to me. And as I look at things in, in creation, and I look at the, the complex systems within biology, all those things just demonstrate faith in God. Now, the other things you might be wrestling with, you might be wrestling, well, I believe in God. How can I trust in Him? Why do I go through these things in life? I want these certain things. Why are there people in my life, or why do I have to go through such pain and agony, whether with relationships or with my health or with disabilities, and why do others around me have to go through that as well? We wrestle and we struggle through life, and so I think that we can see a lot of parallels to Jacob and his wrestling with God and wrestling with his faith. But in the end, Jacob's victorious, and we're going to look at that this morning. Before we do that, I ask that you pray with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and the mercy and strength that you give us every day. We thank you that we could get up this morning, we could breathe the air that you bless us to have, that we have the clothing and food that you bless us with, that we can gather here together and meet together as believers and as Christians to worship you and to study your word. And we ask that you be upon our minds and our hearts right now, that we listen to your word and be affected by it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So you start looking at the subject, and this is what I see throughout the book of Genesis, 
is echoing there. You're looking at who the creator is, but we're also not, we're not just seeing that he created the whole universe and looking at design and creation. We're looking at qualities of God, and we're seeing that God makes promises. And he gives these promises, and if you would believe in those promises, if you believe that God will keep those promises, don't let it change your life. You're going to follow him more diligently. And I think for many Christians, they, they've moved away from that. They stop thinking about God. A lot of believers, they stop thinking about God. They stop thinking about His promises and what He promises to give them through Christ. And if we would believe in Him and believe in His grace and His promises, it makes a big change in our life. We talked about that some last week. I think about as well, and I'm reading the book of Genesis, is that we're getting a text that's telling us that your life has meaning and purpose. Without God, your life would ultimately be meaningless. The things that you do, ultimately, whether they're good or bad, won't act, wouldn't ultimately matter. Um, how you treat others. And without God, there's no ultimate meaning. You can do whatever you want. You can live like Hitler, or you can b- become a physician and save 10,000 lives. But in the end, everybody's going to die. Centuries later, people are going to forget who you are. And if you believe what the seculars say, all the stars are going to die out, and all the galaxies are going to cold, be, become cold and just float off into nothing forever. And it doesn't matter if you've written Shakespeare or if you're some great author, everything is lost, and it means has no purpose or meaning. The book of Genesis reminds us there is a creator and a God, and he gives you meaning and purpose, and he's made you in his likeness. He's made you like him for a reason. That's a great thing to encourage us. Before we look at Jacob wrestling with um, this angelic figure, with God, I want you to look a little bit earlier into Genesis chapter 32. And, um, well, that's not, not on the screen now, so... I, Get your Bibles out and look with me. Genesis chapter 32. If you have it on your phone, get that out. Look at the Scriptures. I encourage you to do that with me. And what we're going to do is we're going to read um, verses 9 through 12 here. And I think that you're going to see something. What we're going to see here is that uh, Jacob is fearing, going back to his brother. Remember when Jacob stole the birthright and then the blessing of Esau. And at this point, he escapes from Esau and he goes north to to Laban and there he's going to to marry but he escapes from Esau his brother who he thinks is going to kill him now he's coming back God tells him tells him I'm going to be with you so let's read about that here in Genesis 32 9 and following he says oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac oh Lord who said to me so he's saying you're the you're the God of my grandfather and my father he says, O oh Lord, O Yahweh, he calls God by name. He said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And so now he's fearing. Now God tells him to do it, so he's doing it. He's going back to his country, but he's, he's afraid. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to me, your servant. Jacob has grown closer to God. He's seen God's blessings in his life. And he admires God for how much he has loved him and been faithful to him. And you see a great change that's happened throughout Jacob's life. And he says, the faithfulness you've shown to me, he says, for only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. In other words, he's like, I have all this cattle. I have everything with me. I'm a wealthy man. Of course, at this time, he has his wives, and he has multiple children, he has double, um, uh, a dozen children. 
And here they are crossing the Jordan. He's gone over with only a staff. Now he's come back with great wealth. He knows God has blessed him. And then he says this. Look at verses 11 through 12 in Genesis chapter 32. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. He's still concerned about it. He says, I know you promised me this. I've seen all your blessings. But I, he, says, he says, but I fear him. That's what he says. For I fear him. He's talking to God. And he says that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do good to you and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He says, I trust in you that you're not going to take away my children or my wives and you're not going to kill me. And again, if, if you don't understand how he got the wives, that's another discussion um, in, in the study. If you go in there and you read the text, you'll see that. But you see Jacob's faith here. And, and it's kind of, you ever prayed that prayer before where, God, I know you've done this in my life and this in my life. And you're actually, a lot of times, just preaching to yourself. You're just reminding yourself, God, you've done all these great things in my life. I'm praying to you. Give me confidence and courage now as I remember all the wonderful things that you've given me. That's what Jacob does here. And here he is. He's getting ready. And he has sent gifts to Esau. He's sending um, hundreds of cattle and sheep to him in front of him. He's afraid. He doesn't want to come to his brother. He's sending his wives in front of him. And he's the last one to cross a river called the Jabbok Stream. And it's interesting because the word Jabbok means also wrestle. And so I don't know if the name came before or after this, but in the text it mentions that. But Jacob, he sees God's love and his faithfulness. And at this time, he is praying to God that things are going to go right. I think every one of us can recognize that kind of relationship with God. We will wrestle with things where we face something that seems like our whole life's going to come crashing down. And all we can do is pray. And just reading Jacob's prayer there, it, it reminds me of Philippians chapter 4. It says, let your requests be made known to God and he will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. And just reading Jacob's prayer, I feel that way. I would, like Jacob, have some great peace there. He's still struggling with this fear of Esau. Question here, and I keep forgetting you can't see these things, but how can anyone seek God and follow him if they, if they refuse to look at his blessings in their life? You know, if, if you say, well, I wanted this, God, I wanted this, and then you don't recognize what he has given you, how likely are you going to follow him or be diligent or faithful to him? It makes a huge difference that you wake up every day and you recognize the reason you're alive and how you've been created and made in the likeness of God and the blessings that you have. It makes a huge difference what you're focused on. And a lot of people wake up every day and they don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about God. I feel guilty. I can't live up to him. And I would encourage that person who says, oh, I can't live up to the standard of following God or, or being a part of a church or a congregation because I just can't live a perfect life. You believe in the promises of God. We're going to talk about some of those that Christians have. You believe in those promises, and you just seek after and follow after Him with all of your heart. And I think you're going to see changes in you. You're going to find out that you're much more obedient when you rest on God's grace. When you think, and I like to think of God's grace in the sense of this, that's encouragement to me. Even this week I was thinking about it, and I said, God's grace, His favor, His blessings upon me. And I think about what has he done in my past? He's forgiven me of my sin and my guilt. What's he done for my future? He's given me eternal hope that I will one day, like Jesus, resurrect from the dead and have eternal life, put on immortality, to live in a heavenly country. I think about those. But in the present, though, that's a little bit different. Because I got the past 
and God, you've taken care of that. In the future, you, well, you've taken better care of that if I follow you. But what about right now when I'm struggling? Right now when I'm being tempted? When there are things around me that are pulling on me? And I want you to think about that. I think about 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, where God says, there's no temptation or trial that comes upon you that you cannot escape, that you cannot endure. God knows what your ability is, what you can handle. And if we would just endure what we're going through, it would give us all the strength that we need. If we would just rely on God's grace. I want you to just think about that a little bit further. But seeking God and recognizing His blessings are very, very powerful. Let's read our exposition this morning as well. Go a little bit down in Genesis chapter 32. And let's look at verses 22 to 32. I want to make some observations here. Very simple things about Jacob and this event with him wrestling. And it says right here before, he's on the other stream, on the other side of the stream, away from his family, away from his livestock, everything. He's all by himself. It says here in verse 22 of Genesis 32, the same night he arose, he took two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, excuse me, 11 children, not 12, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when a man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. You remember Jacob's name meaning one who cheats. And here, he kind of gets that irony of the cheating coming back upon him. Look at verse 26. It says, Then he said, and this is the angelic, this man right here, an angel in man's form. He says, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You have prevailed. Even though his hip is at a socket, the angel says to him, you prevailed, you won. You wanted the blessing. And the word Israel, this is where the name for Israel, for the nation of Israel, comes from Jacob's name. Israel meaning one who wrestles with God. You've striven with God. Look at verse 29. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip, and therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he had touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So there's a lot to draw out there um, from what happened. But in summary, there are some things that you might be missing here. If you still have your Bible open, go back a little bit in Genesis 32 to verses 1 and 2. And you'll see something a lot of people often miss. And that Jacob is traveling through there and he sees another camp of angels. That's his conclusion, is that there's a camp of angels moving through the land. A very strange thing to, to think about, but this is events that were occurring around the patriarchs from Abraham and then in Jacob. And then Jacob wrestles with a man. It says that in the text, that he wrestles with a man until daybreak. We see how the, the struggle ends, but yet Jacob still prevails. I don't know if Jacob took a lot of pride or if he was all about... He, he, and in his ability to wrestle, evidently he did. Someone's wrestling with you in the night and you're wrestling back. That's kind of a strange thing. I wonder if Jacob thought, you know, someone's trying to kill me or, or what, what was going through his mind through this event. 
But again, he's injured, but he calls upon a blessing on himself, and God blesses him. A passage that helps us to understand this a little bit better that I want to refer you to this morning is in Hosea. Hosea 12 talks about this event, verses 3 through 6. Hosea chapter 12, 3 through 6. If you want to better understand this lesson, I'm going to encourage you one more time to turn over to that one as well. Hosea chapter 12, 3 through 6, one of the minor prophets. And this is what we read. Here you have God reminding Israel and saying, you remember Jacob. You remember that he wrestled. And this is what the text says. He strove with the angel and prevailed. Who was he wrestling with? Evidently an angel. He strove with an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel. Remember when he saw the ladder to heaven in a dream. And there God spoke with us, the Lord, the God of hosts. The Lord, Yahweh, is his memorial name. And so you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. So we can learn now what we're supposed to do with this this message about Jacob wrestling. As Jacob says he wrestles with God, Hosea says a little bit clearly, he wrestles with an angel of the Lord, with the angel of the Lord. And again it says, the text is saying to Israel, you be like Jacob and you seek God's help. You return to him and you hold fast to him because Israel had gone astray. They they were no longer leaning on God's love and his justice. What a beautiful description of who God is. Both love and yet he is just. He is loving and yet he has wrath. And he says, you wait on God continually. And that's another thing. When we're we're living this life and we're wrestling, we're often waiting for things. God, when is this going to happen? When are you going to help me? When are things going to get better? And here the prophet Hosea says, you wait for the Lord. You wait on him because it's worth it. You wait on his promises. So here again in Hosea, we see God calling the nation of Israel to remember their God, to return to him, to hold to these blessings, to go back to God's promises. I ask you this morning as we think about this, let's think about some application of what we've read this morning. What promises do you expect from God? What do you, what do you expect to receive from him and get from him every day? Do you think about that? You might think about your blessings. You might think about, you know, God's forgiven me of my sins and I look forward to eternal life. And that might be it. But you need to think a little bit deeper about that. The whole book of Genesis is again telling us God's blessings. Even from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God curses Satan and he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's the first prophecy in the Bible of a coming offspring, a seed, a savior who will save the world. He will bless all the nations of the world. And you keep going and you go in Genesis 12 and Genesis 13, Genesis 17, Genesis 22, Genesis 28. And throughout the scriptures, you're constantly being reminded that God's going to bless all the nations of the world. All the nations, all the families of earth are going to be blessed through one son, one offspring of man. And you can't, Escape the fact that he's pointing to Jesus Christ and the promises and the blessings that are through him. I want you to also, right now, think about the blessings that God gives us. He forgives us of our sins. He's he's forgiven us through Christ. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. He gives us eternal life and he promises that. You think about John 3.16, that he gives us eternal life. Well, we will bodily rise one day on the last day. We read about that in John chapter 6 and verse 40. I want you to think about other things. 
God also promises to deliver us from temptation and from sin and not to give us something that we cannot, we don't have the ability to overcome. That's number three I would remind you of because I think that's where a lot of people give up is, oh, I can't, I can't control myself. Oh, I have temptations in my life. I have trials. You don't know what it's like. The people that I'm around, the peers, the individuals, the things that I'm faced with every day. But God says, you will not be tempted beyond your ability. He will always provide a way of escape. Do you believe in that promise? The Bible says if you set your mind on Him, He'll deliver you. I think about other things. One of the most favored passages in all the Bible. Romans 8 and verse 28. You know that. You can probably quote it. That God all, works all things for good for those who love Him. Do you believe that? You look in your life and you see a lot of chaos. You, you wonder about these. Are you trusting in God's promises? Because if you're thinking God's going to bring good out of this. And I look at that. I have, I have things in family members right now who are going through things that I don't know what, how good is going to come from this. But I pray for them. I don't know what I can do to help them. But I pray for them. And what I want them to do is to love God. I don't want to see good come out in their life because I know that's promised. Other things that we read about in scriptures, you remember the great invitation in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You remember that? I love that scripture. Every time I read it, I feel comfort because I know that if I trust in God and I, take a, and I believe in Jesus and I follow him with all my heart, and I say, I'm going to be a follower and be a disciple of Christ. He's going to take those burdens away. The anxiety, the struggles, the things that I go through in my life. And that I can have that peace beyond understanding in Philippians chapter 4. Those are promises for God right now in the present. And if I trust in Him and I rely on Him and I believe in His promises, I'm going to find myself being more faithful, being more diligent, enduring more temptation, growing as a Christian and being more, uh, um, being more filled with hope. Because I know that God is going to deliver me. I encourage you to know your Creator because that's what Genesis has been teaching us. You follow, you become like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and you follow God and you believe He'll keep His promises and it will change you the way you live, the way you behave. You'll see obedience. You'll see wonderful things. And every faithful Christian in here will tell you that. The experience of their life, that is true. Another promise is that God says His power rests on us and our weakness. I'm too weak. I'm too weak to defend myself when people slander me. I'm too weak to do what I used to be able to do, to carry the weight I used to be able to carry. But God gives me strength. I'm too weak. I have sickness. I have struggles where I don't know what's going to happen to me next year. Am I going to be alive or not? But we put our trust in God and in His power and in His strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. I could go on this morning. I just share with you six, very briefly, promises of God from the past and the future and four of them about right now and what God gives you to strengthen you. As we finish this morning, I want to bring our attention back to Jacob. Was he saved? He was saved from his brother. God delivers him. And if you remember there, it's a very touching event there because Jacob finally comes to his brother Esau and they come face to face and they embrace that hatred, that Esau pursuing Jacob to kill him, gone. Esau comes with 400 men, and so Jacob's thinking, oh, this is it. And they embrace. A wonderful story there in the Scripture, but we also see Jacob being saved in the end. Toward the end of the book of Genesis, 
Chapter 49, verse 33, and this is what we read. Genesis 49, verse 33. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he's commanding them, he says, when I die, this is what I want to happen. He says, when I, I want to be buried, and he tells them where? In the land of promise. And, he, and it says here, he finished commanding his sons, and when he gave these commands, it says, he drew up his feet into his bed, and he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Gathered to his people. What does that mean? I think as we're going through Genesis, I cannot help but emphasize this reference to gather to his people. We read about here in Jacob 49, 33, is gathered to his people before he was buried. What does it mean? Some of the texts say gather to his fathers. Abraham, it says here in Genesis 25, verses 8 through 10, it says Abraham was gathered to his people and then he was buried with Sarah. Evidently, Abraham came from Ur. He didn't go back there. They didn't take his remains. So he stayed there in the land. He was buried there. So what does it mean that he was gathered to his people? Genesis 35 and verse 29 says Isaac was gathered to his people before being buried. Genesis 49, 28 to 30, Joseph instructs that he be buried in the land and that when he had died and he be gathered to his people. It's common throughout the book of Genesis and it's that common thread of hope of eternal life that when you die, you'll be with your family. With your people. Take confidence in that. And you probably have some loved ones in your life that you're eager one day to see again. And we live by the hope that one day we'll be gathered to our people. Those that we love that we will once again see. And so the book of Genesis is a book of hope. It's a book of promises. And I encourage this morning as we're concluding that you do not lose priority in God's promises. And this is another reason why. We talked in the very beginning about meaning and purpose in life. If you don't focus and put your hope in God and what He promises, your priorities will be wrong. You ever looked at your life and say, I need to put my priorities right, put put them where they should be, and put them more on God. And that means knowing God and believing in what He's promised to you. If you believe Him and trust Him in that, the struggle, the wrestling will become a lot easier. Jacob wrestled with God and he lived by faith in God's promises and he awaits the resurrection of life. I want to give you one last passage this morning. And this is from the words of Jesus. Matthew 22, verses 31 to 32. Jacob is alive. And as Jesus points out, and when he's in a discussion, the Sadducees challenge him about the resurrection because they don't believe in it. They say, how do you explain the resurrection? And he says, listen, the Bible says that God is, not was, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, they are saved, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, we read a scripture last week about sitting at the table with them in the kingdom of God and how wonderful that will be. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, the examples of faith. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 22, 31 to 32. And as for the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what was said to you by God? What was said to you by God. Now this is actually God talking directly to Moses. But it's there in Exodus. And Jesus says, it's to you. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so in the end, we know that when we pass from this life, it's not the end. We have hope in the promises of God that we will be gathered to our people. Do you have that confidence this morning? You don't know how many days you have left. It doesn't matter what your age is. 
You may not live to the tonight. You may not wake up tomorrow morning. Is your life right with God? Are you trusting in Him? If you put your faith in Him, I encourage you this morning to make your life right and trust in His promises. Look at the examples in Genesis and follow these holy, faithful men and what they look forward to. They look forward to the heavenly kingdom, Hebrews 11 and verse 16. They look forward to an eternal city built by God and designed by Him. I look forward to that. They look forward to a resurrection. They look forward to be gathered to their people. This morning, if you don't have that confidence, you can have it. You can believe and you confess your faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you can be buried with Him in baptism and from that point rise up in the newness of life to live as a disciple of Christ. Why don't you accept God's promises this morning? Become a Christian. You need prayers, you need encouragement. We want to pray with you as well. And we encourage you to come forward and sit on this front pew. Right now, let's sing together.